Hello and welcome to this Limbic Educational Series, updating you on the latest on the CAR-T revolution. This follows our previous podcast looking at this quickly evolving treatment landscape. These three short episodes will look at what has happened since then in terms of new indications, new CAR-T centres coming on board in the UK and the latest efficacy and safety data. In this episode, we're talking to Dr. Maeve O'Reilly, Consultant Haematologist at University College London Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust. When we last spoke about this topic around a year ago, a few hundred people had been treated with CAR-T in the UK. Since then, there have been some changes, including an expansion in the number of centres providing the treatment, which we will talk about in a later episode. But today, we're going to focus on new indications. At the start of this year, NICE published draft guidance expanding the use of Axacel as a second-line treatment, with the final recommendation being signed off in April. Maeve, can you talk us through that new indication, who it's for, the evidence that supported it, and what that has meant for patients? Absolutely, Emma. So this is an exciting new indication for patients with uh, high-grade B-cell lymphoma. So as you mentioned, it's online really since April of this year. And I suppose when you ask who it's for, when we look at eligibility criteria, we break it down often by uh, disease specific criteria, treatment specific criteria and patient specific criteria. So patients have to have a diagnosis of diffuse large B cell lymphoma or high grade B cell lymphoma. And there's a couple of subtypes that that includes. Um, and they have to have been I suppose, deemed to fail their first line treatment. So either during the treatment itself or within 12 months of completion. Um, and that treatment has to include things like a, a full dose anthracycline and an anti-CD20 monoclonal antibody. So for example, like ORCHOP chemotherapy. Um, and then patients also must have good performance status, good organ function, and they must be deemed fit for an autologous stem cell transplant because that's the that was one of the criteria for the study that led to the approval. Um, so, you know, under the eligibility, we, we're now able to give CAR T cell therapy to patients who fail first line as opposed to patients who have failed two lines of therapy, which is good news. And the as you know, the, the study that led to the approval of, of Axi cell at second line is it was called Zuma 7. And this was a phase three randomized study looking at patients who um, either received AxiCell, CAR T-cell product, or they received standard of care. And standard of care is classically included two to three lines of chemoimmunotherapy, followed by an autologous stem cell transplant. So this study randomized one-to-one and then looked at, say, event-free survival and overall survival in those, in those patient groups. And it did become clear quite quickly that patients who were randomized to the uh, I suppose standard of care arm that progressive disease was one of the main reasons why they failed to um, re- reach their autologous stem cell transplant and only 62 of patients 62 of almost 180 patients ultimately uh, proceeded with their per protocol autologous stem cell transplant whereas 170 out of 180 patients who were randomized to AxiCell received their stem cell product so that meant I suppose that we had an event-free survival of almost a median event-free survival of, of 8.3 months for AxiCell, only two months for standard of care. Um, and then during the summer, we see that they have demonstrated that AxiCell has a, an overall survival benefit as well. And so the, the study does, does tell us quite clearly that, that this is a very 
um, efficacious option for patients who fail first line chemotherapy. And what we're really looking to uh, tackle here is those patients who fail first line chemotherapy either during the treatment or uh, within 12 months, because we know historically that these patients do quite poorly um, in terms of prognosis. So we're trying to capture this cohort and move them earlier to CAR T cell therapy. And I think for patients, why this, this is important because um, I, we, we often see a dropout for patients between uh, CAR T cell approval and infusion. It's about 20%. And we're hoping that with earlier CAR T cell treatment, we will be able to reduce that percentage and bring those very chemorefractory patients um, and to CAR T cell therapy at an earlier time point where we may be, it may be more feasible to treat them. It is also possible that taking their T cells before uh, they've had a lot of chemotherapy, maybe those T cells are healthier and maybe we'll see higher cure rates with CAR T cell therapy or certainly longer disease free survival. So I think it's a very important move in the right direction and it's, it's, it's really good news for patients. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I remember it sort of being met with quite a lot of excitement at the time. Um, I mean, also around that the same month, um, it was announced that people aged 26 years and older with returning or untreatable B-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia will be eligible for treatment with Tocatus. Um, Smaller numbers there, I believe, but can you provide uh, a bit more detail on that new indication for us? Yeah, so this is uh, the first licensed, Tocatus is the first licensed CAR T-cell product for adult B-acute lymphoblastic leukemia. So up until April 2023, we had access to uh, tisogen leglucil for children and young adults up to the age of 26 if they had relapsed refractory CD19 expressing B acute lymphoblastic leukemia. But for anyone over the age of 26, we actually couldn't uh, couldn't treat them on the NHS. There was some clinical trials in the UK. Um, so this is a I suppose a, another treatment option for for this patient group. Um, and again, they have to fulfill uh, disease and treatment and patient specific criteria to be eligible for the therapy. I think the Zuma 3 study, which led to the approval of, of Tocartus is, is, is not in the same, I suppose the quality of the study is different to the Zuma 7 study where we had a randomized study. The Zuma 3 study is small patient numbers. So we only had 71 enrolled patients and 55 infused patients. It was phase two. Uh, no randomized component. And so um, it is it, it is different, but um, they certainly showed high rates of overall response in, in, in this patient cohort that were heavily pretreated. Um, I think they, they showed complete remission rates of uh, 55, 56%. But I, I think with this product, we will have to see how this plays out in the real world, because even though we see high response rates and certainly for patients who go in with um, disease control, they seem to fare um, better in terms of um, disease-free survival. But on study, a lot of patients went on to have an, an allogeneic stem cell transplant. So we don't really have a lot of data on what the durability of response is in patients who don't have a uh, consolidative therapy. And this is important when we're talking about, um, you know, counseling patients for treatment and thinking about curing patients with CAR T-cell therapy, which is what we're hoping to do. But the real world outcomes for Tocartus in, in BALL in the NHS, we await those and, and certainly as well. We know this product 
can have its uh, its its high grade toxicities, and we're you know we need to see how this how patients tolerate this in the real in the real world. Absolutely, and I mean speaking of uh, kind of understanding and using these therapies in the real world uh, I believe the British Society for Haematology Guidance has changed for mantle cell lymphoma in the era of CAR-T. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah so when we were collecting the data for mantle cell lymphomas that product is also called Tocartis and when we started looking at the outcomes for patients that were you know approved for CAR-T cell therapy harvested and infused with CAR T-cell therapy, became very clear that there is a significant drop-off between approval and infusion. And this is like, this is always seems to be secondary to progressive disease. So for patients who fail um, abrutinib, sometimes their relapses can be quite rapid. So um, in line with, uh, I suppose, with the help of a lot of mantle cell experts across the UK, we devised some guidance for clinicians on how to risk assess patients at, the, at first line failure in mantle cell lymphoma. So thinking about that first relapse or even at diagnosis, you know, this is also important, but certainly by the time of first relapse, just thinking about how we categorize patients in terms of risk. We know that patients who have TP53 mutation, blastoid disease, progression of disease within 24 months, high risk simplified MIPI and high proliferation index. We know that they they don't have long term you know, they don't have, I suppose they have very short abrutinib response times. So what we're proposing is that patients who start abrutinib at second line, that we are um, trying to monitor that response, monitor it closely, and also discuss these patients with a CAR T-cell center at first relapse so that they are on their radar, because really um, the key for mantle cell lymphoma will be disease control. And I suppose what we're trying to do is make this therapy feasible for patients who have a rapid relapse off the brutinib. If we can capture it at an earlier time point, maybe we may be able to bring these patients to cell infusion. Um, so that is that is something that has come out in the real world in mantle cell lymphoma. Yeah, it really does show, doesn't it, how um, much we're kind of learning as we expand and make greater use of these therapies yeah one thing that I wanted to ask you about actually is when we last spoke about CAR-T on our previous podcast series there was some discussion around its hope for potential use in treating myeloma and that potentially would be a much larger group of patients so at the time we were talking about you know how the NHS would perhaps manage that Um, but I haven't heard anything since then have there been any developments uh, in myeloma? Yes, yeah, so unfortunately, um, Siltacel, the nice appraisal for Siltacel has been suspended. So there is no CAR T cell product for myeloma on the horizon for NHS patients anytime soon. Um, uh, we do have access, the patients do have access to CAR T therapies on clinical trial, but they're small numbers. Um, and, and again, it's, it's not something that we're going to be able to provide on a mass, uh, mass scale as we were hoping. Um, so this is disappointing. There are many other um, interesting agents coming downstream for myeloma, but I don't think we're going to see a CAR T cell product on the horizon in the NHS, certainly not for the next couple of years. Was that, you mentioned there that was a bit disappointing. Was that unexpected, do you think? Or was it sort of unclear what, what was going to happen with myeloma? I think it was unexpected. Um, I think that uh, we were at least hoping to complete the appraisal, uh, nice for hoping to complete the appraisal process. 
Um, and, and I think um, we don't hear all of the information as to why products aren't brought forward. Uh, but sometimes it's to do with, um, you know, capacity, prioritizations and strategies that companies have within themselves. Uh, and I think, you know, from what we've heard, maybe demand was very high in, in the US and, and um, they have prioritized that area. But again, we, we often don't hear the nitty gritty. All we hear is, you know, it's been pulled and then you all you hear after that is uh, some rumors, unfortunately. <laughs> Yes, it's not always hard to get the mm. to bottom of nice processes and those timelines for making decisions as well. And yeah. um, I mean, as you mentioned, this is a fast moving field. You know, we talk about that, you know, a year from now or two years from now, we might be in a different position. We might understand more about X, Y, Z. And um, I'd be interested to get your view on if there's anything else we should be looking out for in terms of new products or indications sort of over the next 12 months or so. Yeah, so I think that um, that the next potentially the next products that will come for a nice review will potentially be for solid tumors. So this is something that's very interesting and could open the, the floodgates. But um, there are products such as TCR engineered T cells for uh, sarcomas that, that may be under nice review within the next year or two. And then also uh, there are tumor infiltrating lymphocytes for malignant melanoma that will again offer this potentially offer this therapy for patients who have failed other standard standard treatments so it is it is an exciting time and and again we never know what way the appraisal process will work out but it is very interesting at least to see how the field is changing and and how these opportunities are potentially going to be available for people in the in the future and as always there are lots of clinical trials going on in in other diseases with car t-cell products um, but i think in terms of of nice we're probably not going to see another product in the next 12 months the uh axi cell for lapsed refractory low-grade non-hodgkin's lymphoma has apparently received a negative appraisal so that's not going to be coming anytime soon but again may come uh, in a couple of years if 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 that can be negotiated somehow but um yeah i think i would say watch the solid tumor space in the next 18 months that's really interesting i hadn't realized quite um you know those new developments that were coming down the line and i think there's it's going to be interesting to see how those treating solid tumors should there be positive developments in those fields for car t you know what they can learn from how hematology has kind of rolled out Mm. CAR-T products so far and learned about managing toxicities and all those kind of things absolutely and in centers where where you know there are clinical trials running in solid tumors with either cards or tcr engineered t-cells or tills hematology and 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 oncology uh, can work very well together closely almost like joint care where the hematologists may deliver the, the the therapy as like technicians but don't really have you know, maybe the background knowledge of, of the disease or, or an understanding of, of tempo or, uh, you know, the, 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 the clinical phenotype of a particular disease. So it is um, it's very interesting and it's, it's really always it's always nice to work with different different specialities as this therapy expands. Yes, you can you can see there's potential for some some good collaborations there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's an excellent place to round up. Thank you so much for taking the time to update us on where we're at. That's been really informative. Not at all. You're welcome. Bye now. Bye.